If you could take your seats and join me in the reading of God's word from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 18. Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there but he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough. Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Suddenly, an angel touched him. The angel told him, get up and eat. Then he looked, and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him. He said, get up and eat, or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up, ate, and drank. Then on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. He entered a cave there and spent the night. Suddenly, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they are looking for me to take my life. Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. At that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, he replied, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they're looking for me to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, go and return, by the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you are to anoint Hazael as king over Aram. You are to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Meholah, as prophet in your place. Then Jehu will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Jehu but I will leave 7,000 in Israel, every knee that has not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Chi. It is a joyful day as 
Pastor EC, that's what I'm calling him, has, has already said, uh, but it is bittersweet. I don't see Nathan. I'm looking for him. Early on when, when we were just starting, uh, is he there? Oh, hi. There you are. Early on when we were just um, coming into this community and we were receiving your welcome, and I would come early and, and Abby was serving as the children's ministry director. The first thing I would hear when I would walk in down the hallway, say hi to Abby, was Nathan saying, hello, Eric. <laughs> and that just is what I'll always think of when I think of, of Nathan, uh, how welcoming he and Abby uh, were to me and to our family. So we are going to miss you guys. We are in a series uh, for the season of Lent. Uh, we're calling it Questions That God Asks Us. Lent is a time uh, that Christians have historically used uh, to spend time in, in self-reflection, to spend time in examination. Just like going uh, to the doctor or to the dentist, we need to get our, our bodies, we need a physical checkup, we need a dental exam. In the same way, we need regular seasons in our life for spiritual reflection, for self-examination. And one of God's favorite ways, one of the ways that He examines us and one of the tools He gives us for self-examination are questions. Throughout the Bible, He asks these really probing, uh, these very poignant questions. Today we're coming to our fifth in our series. We're going to be looking at a question that God asks Elijah. He actually asks Elijah this question two times in this story. And that is the question, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? I'm going to approach this question, and I think this is how it should be approached, as a question that God asks us for our low times, for our times of despair, for times when we feel burnt out or depressed. That's where Elijah was, and at some level, all of us come to those places and different times in our lives. First, I want to look at the story that's behind this question that God asked Elijah, and then I want to talk about what we can learn um, from this story. So first, let's set the context of the story. We're really picking up midstream into the book of 1 Kings. We're picking up midstream into the life and the story of the prophet Elijah. So let's set the context. Chapter 19 that we just read, uh, almost all of chapter 19 that she just read, that tells us the story of Elijah's low point. This is the lowest point in his entire life. The chapter previous, chapter 18, is the story of Elijah's highest point in life. The very best moment that he ever had, his crowning achievement. So in one chapter, 18, highest point to the next chapter, Elijah's lowest point, what happened? How did things change so drastically? Well, Elijah, he was a prophet to northern Israel during the reign of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Together, this couple, they had a very specific agenda. Their agenda was to replace the worship of the God of the Bible with another God, the, God, the Canaanite God called Baal. They just announced it, and they said, everyone, it's time to go in a new direction, new faith, new religion. We're now worshiping Baal. He is the storm god. He's going to give us 
the rain we need. We need rain to survive. We need our crops to thrive. So we're going to go with Baal. He'll take care of us. That's when Elijah comes onto the scene. And he says, you think Baal will give you rain? And he makes an announcement. He said, as the Lord God lives, it will not rain until I say it will rain. So what he's saying is, if God is real, it's going to stop raining. It's going to demonstrate, it's going to show everyone that Baal is not real. God is real. He's living. He's the true God. And what happened? It stopped raining. There was a severe drought and famine throughout the land. Elijah goes into hiding at this point. King Ahab and Queen Jezebel are searching for him. They're thinking if we just put him to death, then maybe somehow this drought will end and rain will come back. After three years, God says to Elijah, it's time to go back. And Elijah goes back, and he has a plan. He says, if the drought isn't enough to bring you back to God, then here's what we'll do. Let's have a contest. So he sets up a contest. He says, I'm, I'm going to pick the teams here. It's me and God, the God of the Bible, versus you, King Ahab, and all the prophets of this god Baal, and bring all the other prophets that you have. It was 950 prophets. So me and God versus you and 950 of your prophets. And let's not only invite the prophets, let's invite everyone to Mount Carmel. We're going to have this contest. Everyone can see. And at this contest, we're going to set up two altars. Altar one, altar two. Here's your altar. Here's my altar. Whichever God sends fire down upon the altar, then we'll know that's the real God. That's the God that we should follow. So that's what happened. This huge crowd, it says all of Israel showed up to watch the contest on this mountain. And it says in chapter 18 that the prophets there of Baal, they were dancing, they were shouting, they were doing all kinds of things, and nothing was happening with their altar. And then Elijah says, okay, it's my turn. He, he prays. And God sends a fire down from heaven. And what it says in chapter 18 is that it consumed the sacrifice that was on the altar. It consumed the wood that was underneath the sacrifice. It consumed the stones that were surrounding the wood. And it even sucked up all the water. It was a dramatic display. And so everybody fell face down. They said, the Lord is God. And Elijah made that announcement, look, doesn't this prove to you? The Lord, he is God. That's the meaning of Elijah's name. Elijah means Yah, my God, Yah. My God is Yah, or Yahweh the Lord. He is the only God. Right after this happened, then a rain cloud appears, and it starts to downpour. And it's flooding everywhere. That's chapter 18. That's one of the most dramatic, one of the most incredible, undeniable displays of God's power and His reality in all the Bible. It's the kind of thing we would love to happen in our lives when we're struggling with doubt, when we're, when we're struggling with whether, uh, whether, whether, we, um, whether we feel a sense of reality in our faith, in times when we're trying to struggle to find the words to explain to other people why they should consider the God of the Bible. We want undeniable proof. 
We want a miracle. We want some sign from heaven to come down and say, this is it. We can't deny that. So that was the high point in Elijah's life. The end of chapter 18, the chapter ends by telling us in verse 46 that the power of God was upon Elijah. And he ran from Mount Carmel to Jezreel. Jezreel was the capital of northern Israel. It was where Queen Jezebel was. It was about 100 miles, so he ran the century. He had the little sticker, 100 miles, century. Why did he go to Jezreel? Well, he thought this was it. This was the moment. This was the best moment of his life. Everything he'd been waiting for and working for, it was happening. The king and the queen would repent, and if they didn't repent and turn to God, then all the people would overthrow them, and the nation would turn back to God, the true God, a national turning point. But this isn't what happened. As we heard read, as, as is printed in your bulletin in chapter 19, verse 1, Ahab, the king, told Queen Jezebel, who was really the stronger leader, everything that Elijah had done. She sends a messenger then to Elijah, and she says to Elijah, you are dead by tomorrow. And then Elijah immediately runs away into the wilderness, into the desert, where he encounters God, and he's examined by God with a question. What are you doing here, Elijah? It's a question for our low point. It's a question for our times of despair and burnout. I want to look at it um, using three points. They're listed for you in your bulletin. We'll go one at a time. First, this story teaches us some really important things when it comes to our experience of despair, our experiences of burnout, and how to make sense of these times in our lives. If you look at verse 3, chapter 18, it says, he, he, Elijah, ran away. He left his servant. He went to the wilderness. He sat down under a tree, and he prayed that he might die. What's, what's going on with all that? What we see is that Elijah wasn't going to the desert just to pray, just to regain perspective, just to get some space so he could figure out, well, this, what I thought was going to happen, it didn't happen, so now what do I do? It wasn't that. He left the country. He was in Judah, not Israel anymore. He left his servant behind. Elijah was quitting the ministry. And he was asking God to take his life. He was ready to quit life. He had hit rock bottom, and he was as low as it gets, despairing, depressed, and burnt out. I want to share a few thoughts of application just on this. The experience of times of depression, dejection, and burnout is a part of the spiritual journey. No one is immune or exempt from these seasons. Let's just think about that for a moment. These kinds of times come to the most faithful, the strongest people. Elijah is one of the most respected and honored people in all of the Bible. He's a model of righteousness and faith. Jesus pointed this out. James pointed this out. And yet, Elijah here, who's had these profound experiences of God taking care of him, specifically, 
of God answering his prayer, of seeing God work in incredible ways. This man, this, this person, Elijah, still experienced the depths of a downcast heart, so much so that he didn't want to live. And he lost hope that God could do anything to change things. Application for us. These times when they come in our lives are not a sign that we are a weak person. They are not a sign that we are a bad Christian or a misfit or an outcast. Just to share a quick illustration on this. Uh, I've shared a a few times about some of our journeys down into Mexico and what it's been like for us to drive uh, down there. The first time that we drove into Mexico... We were driving pretty far, Puerto Penasco, if you know where that is. It's like on the other side of Baja, California. And this was before, before I had GPS, and I was going online to get the directions, to get the map. And what I discovered was there's a route to get there. And they were announcing that there was a brand new highway built, brand new highway built to get you straight to Puerto Penasco. I was like, sweet, this is going to be easy. If I just find that road, then... It's smooth sailing all the way there. So we get down. It's kind of crazy. When you cross the border, we find the road, and we're going. And sure enough, there's this brand new road. Like, this is the road. I know I'm going in the right direction. This is good. But then all of a sudden, we hit a point, and there's no road anymore. It's just blocked off. And I'm like, well, what do I do? And there's just kind of this dirt path on the side that takes you to the side, and you have to drive along this dirt road. And I'm thinking, this isn't the way. This is, not, this is not a brand new highway. What is going on? We're going to get lost. All I have is this map. We're going to be lost in Mexico forever. Well, the story ended by me just trusting the map, following it, and it ended up leading us uh, to where we wanted to go. But there were many points where the road was not brand new and it was still being finished. Why do I share that? Times of despair, times of burnout that come in our lives are not a sign that we're on the wrong road. They're not necessarily signs that we're on the wrong path. In our culture, and to a certain extent in our Christian culture, and through media and social media, there's so much pressure that we have to appear like we have it figured out, to appear that we're happy, that things are well, that we are killing it in life, we're killing it here, we're killing it here, and that's the pressure we feel when we're on Facebook or Instagram or whatever it may be. We need to retrieve the wisdom of the scriptures here, the wisdom of the Christian tradition that says, dark nights of the soul, like Elijah had, they're a part of the spiritual journey. You think of the story, Pilgrim's Progress, by John Bunyan. And in that story, the pilgrim on the journey, he spends some time in the the castle of despair, in the castle of doubt with the giant despair. The point that Bunyan was making is that that's a part of the journey. That's a part of the roadmap. Don't be surprised when it comes. It's a part of the journey God leads us through. And often, as with Elijah, these times can come right when we think everything's great. We're on a mountaintop experience. We've got it figured out. Mount Carmel is awesome, and then we hit a point like this, and it can be very disorienting for us. 
And so as, as Christians, it is an encouraging sign, and we need to do all that we can to remove any and all stigma when it comes to caring for our mental health, our emotional health, our psychological health. These things are a part of what God cares about. They're a part of the spiritual journey, and there should be no stigma to those things. The story goes on, and it shows us how there is hope. Despite how dark and how low we can feel, how stuck and how isolated we can feel, God is a God who meets us in these times. We learn so much about how God meets Elijah when he was at his low point. I'm going to share three, three ways that God meets Elijah and how he meets us. First, we see how God meets us in our full humanity. The first thing that God does in response to Elijah's hopeless prayer, he's in the desert. He's despairing. What does he say? He doesn't say, get up, Elijah, get back to work. There's still a lot to do. He doesn't come in angelic glory and drive Elijah to his knees and say, Elijah, fear not. He even saves his question for a little bit later. What's the first thing that God does? He cooks Elijah a meal, and he lets him sleep. That's what God does first. He just says, arise, eat, and take some more time to rest. Sometimes what we need most in our times of despair and burnout is just to tend to our bodies. The most, physical the most spiritual thing we can do is to care for our physical nature. The most spiritual thing we can do is to take a nap, to eat a good meal, and to rest. It's a part of our humanity. Notice twice, it says the angel of the Lord, the angel who is the angel of the Lord, touched him. The angel of the Lord is a mysterious figure in the Old Testament story. It's when God comes close to people in physical manifestation, in physical form. God meets Elijah with physical touch. He's caring for Elijah in the social and relational aspect of his humanity. See here, God meets Elijah in the fullness of his humanity. We are whole beings. We tend to reduce our problems when we get stuck, when we're struggling. We just want to take care of one aspect of ourselves. The Bible doesn't reduce our humanity or our struggles to any one dimension. We are embodied beings. We are whole beings. And God made every part of us. The gospel is that Jesus is at work to renew each aspect, every aspect of our humanity. When we're struggling, sometimes we can say, depending on our worldview, depending on our temperament, I just need to pray harder. I just need to have more faith. I need to confess my sins. Have I sinned in any way? I just need to obey more. We can't just reduce to the spiritual. Sometimes we say, I just need to find the right medication. We can't reduce only to the physical. We can say, I just need to go to therapy. Therapy will fix this. We can't reduce only to the psychological. Or sometimes we say, I just need to be with my friends and with my family. We can't reduce only to the social. Instead, we need it all. Christianity, the way that God cares for us, Christianity shows us that God says it isn't a compromise for us to seek out medication. It isn't wrong for us to say, I just need physical rest. It isn't less spiritual to see a therapist. 
And it isn't even enough to say, I just prayed about this once. Elijah sought God for 40 days in the wilderness. We need all of it. We can't reduce. God meets us in our full humanity. Second, he meets us with searching questions. After feeding Elijah, giving him some time to sleep, Elijah goes to Mount Horeb, which is called the mountain of God in the text, usually called Mount Sinai. It's where God met with Moses and delivered the Ten Commandments, the birthplace of Israel. Maybe Elijah went there because he said, I don't know where else to go. I need to restart. So he went to Mount Sinai. The question came then to Elijah, what are you doing here? Now, we know that God knows why Elijah is there. God knows what Elijah is doing there, but he wants Elijah to know what Elijah is doing there. And so he asks him twice, these searching questions. Twice when God asks him, Elijah repeats the same response. But God didn't want Elijah to miss Elijah's answer, and he didn't want Elijah to miss God's answer to this question because they were two different things. What are you doing here? What you think you are doing here, Elijah, in this downcast place, in this dark place, is not what I am doing here in your life. Let me explain. When we come to these dark nights, to these places, these low points, these dead ends, we feel like these are places where we're saying, it's over. I'm done. I give up. I've tried everything. It is a dead end. But God says, this is not a dead end. This is a place of a new beginning. You're here to rest. You're here to learn more about yourself. You're here to learn more about me and to be prepared for what I'm going to do in your life next. When we hit these moments in our lives, we feel stuck and we say, well, what am I doing here? When God asks us searching questions, he wants us to consider what might he be doing here in those moments. God asks searching questions. And we need those searching questions even when we're lost and we're feeling stuck and isolated. God meets Elijah in his full humanity. He meets him with a searching question. And lastly, he meets him with his glorious comprehensiveness. After Elijah answers the question in verse 11, God says, here's what I want you to do. Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And the Lord, it says, pass by. First, a great and strong wind, tearing the mountains and breaking the rocks to pieces. And then an earthquake and then a fire. Each time it says the Lord was not in the wind. He wasn't in the fire. He wasn't in the earthquake. After the fire, it says there was the sound of a low whisper. Or some translations say, a still, small voice. What's the point? The point is not that God is never a fire that God is never an earthquake, or God is never the wind. He was an earthquake on that very mountain, Mount Sinai. He showed himself to Israel, and the mountain quaked when he was revealing the Ten Commandments to them in Exodus. God was a fire. He just was a fire with Elijah on Mount Carmel, and to Moses in the burning bush. And to Israel, he was a pillar of fire. To Job, he came as a whirlwind. And the point is, we can't reduce God to our conception of God. God in his character and in his work is so rich, he's so multifaceted in his glory. 
He doesn't work with us in a one-size-fits-all kind of way. He can't be predicted. God cannot be controlled. He meets us with what we need, not what we might think we need. When we want extraordinary deliverance, when we want miraculous answers, God comes in a low whisper. When we think we need a gentle whisper, he meets us with a whirlwind like he does with Job to humble us. God cannot be controlled. The way God works cannot be put into a box of our own preferences or experiences or temperament. And we need to remember that, especially my Christian friends. When we're caring for people in times of despair, in times when people are in their dark places, we need to remember that God works in a multifaceted way. So God meets Elijah in his full humanity with searching questions in his glorious comprehensiveness. But God also gently leads Elijah out of this time. How does Elijah get out of this? How does God lead him out? That's the third point, how God leads us out through times of despair and burnout. There's two ways, two things we see here. There's a word of gentle rebuke, and there's the word of grace. Question, what was it really that brought Elijah to this place of despair and hopelessness? Wasn't it that Elijah was saying, God, this wasn't the plan. This was not how things were supposed to turn out. I come out of the wilderness, I confront the king, I win the contest, and everybody is supposed to turn back to you. That's the plan. That's how things were supposed to go. This was our big moment. And you let me down. You let me down, God. What Elijah needed to learn, as one pastor put it, is that God hasn't let him down. It was his plan that has let him down. When things don't work according to our plans, according to our timetable, this can be a cause of major discouragement to us. It can drive us to a low point. And we need to see the difference. What does God say there at the end of the text? He actually says to Elijah, I do have a plan. I do have a timetable that's greater than you. It's greater than what you know or can know. In verse 16, he says, go, because I actually have 7,000 others just like you, prophets who have not bowed the knee to Baal. I'm going to work outside the categories you have. I'm going to use this king from Syria, Hazael. He's a pagan king. He's not even a part of Israel. I'm going to make him a part of my plan. There'll be a new king in Israel, and Elijah, I even have a plan for your successor. Elijah, this goes beyond you. What we see God doing is he's releasing Elijah from the burden and the pressure, like living as if his plan is ultimate, as if his agenda is God's agenda. Elijah needed to see he's not the plan, even though he was a part of the plan. And that's important for us, too. In these moments, God wants to come to us very gently. You see how gentle God is with Elijah? But he wants to show him a gentle rebuke. Elijah, I haven't let you down. It was your plan that has let you down. And in that, that can set us free with a new freedom and an appreciation 
for what God has done, what He is doing, what He will do, that His plan is far outside of our ability to grasp or understand, that can lift us out of despair, that can lift us out of burnout. It's a word of gentle rebuke. Lastly, and I'll close with this, Elijah needed a word of grace. What we see is that this entire encounter, this entire story is a powerful, it's a dramatic enactment of the gospel, the message at the heart of the Bible. To get through this, Jesus, to get through this Elijah needed the word of grace that is fulfilled ultimately in Jesus. He needed the gospel. What is the gospel? That we are more sinful, prideful, and self-absorbed than we would have ever wanted to see or ever would admit. But at the same time, we're more valued, loved by God than we'd ever thought possible. And when we remember this, God can use us. God was saying to Elijah, I want to show you that I want to show you what will ultimately bring change to other people. This change that you so were hoping to see. And so disappointed that hasn't happened. I want to show you what will ultimately bring change to you that you don't see fully. It's not the fire. It's not the earthquake. It's not the wind. Though God does reveal himself in those ways, in these show aspects of his character, this story is meant to show us that the primary and most powerful way that God changes us is through his word of grace. In verse 11, Elijah was told to come out. God said, Elijah, come out and stand before the Lord on the mountain. But what happened? Elijah didn't listen to God. He didn't come out until verse 13, after the fire, after the earthquake, and after the wind was all finished. Only after the whisper, it says he came out, he wrapped himself in a cloak and stood before the Lord. Why didn't he listen? Well, I think we can understand why would he come out when there's fire passing by, when there's an earthquake, when it says the wind was tearing the rocks and the mountain to pieces. Instead, he was hiding in the cave. He was hiding in the rock. There was one, one time in, in, uh, in my life, in my life in Florida, which is a place uh, that experiences hurricanes. One time I experienced a hurricane, and Amelia and I, we were living in Orlando in a hurricane. The eye of the hurricane passed right over our townhome. And the power went out, and everything was going crazy outside, and I, I said... This might be my only chance to just kind of look outside and go outside into a hurricane. So I opened the door, and I looked outside, and it was just like the world was ripping apart. Things were flying everywhere. It just looked like the sky was completely dark. And I said, forget that. I'm closing the door and going back in. Thank God that I have this townhome to keep me safe. That's what Elijah said about that cave about that place in the rock. Scholars say, likely, that this was the same cave, the same cleft that Moses hid in on this same mountain when God said to Moses, I want, you want to see my glory? In order for you to see my glory, I'm going to have to hide you in this cleft of the rock. I'll pass by. But to protect you, you need the rock. Many places in the New Testament the authors of the New Testament say the rock of the Old Testament was a picture. It was a pointer to Jesus. 
Only in Jesus, when we hide in him, we don't experience the fire, the earthquake, the wind. Augustus Toplady wrote the hymn, Rock of Ages. And he said this um, when he was writing the hymn. He wrote an article with the hymn. He said, yet if you fall, be humble, but do not despair. Pray afresh to God who is able to raise you up and to set you on your feet again. Look to the blood of the covenant. Say to the Lord from the depth of your heart, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. In times of despair, in times of burnout, in our lowest times, we need to hide in the rock. We need to hide in Jesus. It shows us that the healing and the restorative force we need in those hard times is found in that quiet voice in God's Word. It's in the Word of grace that we find God's most powerful force in the world that leads us through. Elijah, he was on a high when he said, We're successful. I'm winning. And then he went down into the depths of despair when he said, no, I'm losing. I'm a failure. And what Elijah needed in the word of grace was to realize he had simultaneously too high a view of himself and too low a view of himself and too low a view of God. He had too high a view of himself. He said, what I do, my faithfulness, my zeal, if what I do fails, if I am weary of faithfulness, if my zeal is gone, then I'm, dis- I'm depressed and life is not worth living anymore. He said, I'm no better than my fathers. I'm a loser. I've not accomplished what I thought I would. He needed to be humble. He needed to hear the word of grace say, it's not about you, Elijah. He had too high view of himself. At the same time, he didn't have a high enough view of himself. God said to Elijah in this, Elijah, even when you feel like a failure, when you feel so low, like you can't go on when you're spent, when you're done and you want to die, I am with you. I'll care for you. I'll cook for you. I'll let you rest. I'll comfort you. That's how much I value you, not for what you do, not whether you fail or succeed, because I love you. How much more of a high view of himself could he get? Loved by God, cared for by God. And he had a too low view of God's grace and plan. God's grace is for the broken and those who feel like giving up. His plan extends far beyond what we know or what we can see or what we can understand for us personally and for the world. That's what Elijah needed. He needed to be humbled. It's not all about you. He needed to be affirmed. God's love, care, and plan for him were not dependent on what he did. And he needed to see how great God is. His grace for the weary for those who feel like failures, for those who feel like giving up. And we see that's what God says to us in Jesus, in the gospel. Jesus had to die for us because we can't save ourselves. can't have that high view of ourselves. That humbles us. We're all empty-handed. Jesus chose to die for us because we're that valuable to God, despite our sin and failure. And we see God's grace is inexhaustible. His glorious plan is inconceivable. His love for us is invincible. It will break through, even in our low points. So may we all hear the gentle voice, the whisper of the word of grace in Jesus. Amen. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story. And I pray for all of us right now, especially for those who feel like they're at a low point, a place of despair, a place of depression of any level, just feeling burnt out. Would you meet us there? Would you meet those who desperately need your comfort, who need rest, who need your gentle touch, who need to hear your gentle, gracious voice? May we be, Lord, the kind of community and church who knows how to care well for those of us who are passing through those times. Break through. Meet us. Lead us through. Give us a fresh view of your greatness and the inexhaustible riches of your grace that are for us, even when we feel broken and spent. Lift our eyes up in encouragement, we pray, through Jesus, your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.